0: Very familiar words, those from the book of Job. I know that my Redeemer lives. And of course, we have taken it and applied it to the resurrection of Jesus. It's not actually all that obvious why it should be applied that way. But that's true of an awful lot of scripture when we look at what it might mean for us. I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the last he will stand upon the earth. Not the different from what we actually believe, surely. He will stand upon the earth. Yes, he stood briefly in the appearances after the resurrection. <coughs> but we look forward to meeting him in the kingdom of God in heaven and after my skin has been thus destroyed, then in my flesh shall I see God. He was still looking for deliverance. I think the emphasis that we ought to place on this passage is actually about the word redeemer, goel. The word was used of your closest relative, whose job was to rescue you when you got into a, into a mess. And that mess could be all sorts of things, from having accidentally killed somebody, to finding yourself so much in debt that you'd sold yourself into slavery. The next of kin was responsible, the redeemer, getting you out of that trouble. And of course we think of the the Redeemer as being not just a human being like us but a bit better off. Not somebody just connected to us via our our particular family but the Redeemer of the world our Saviour Jesus Christ. The picture is there of him paying the price of our sin. It's an, an, an inadequate picture because, quite who you pay the price to, isn't clear at all. But it's there. Redeemer saving us from our sins, redeeming us as our nearest relative. So we have a picture. Painted by Job those years and years before of one of the things that Jesus did for us. But it's also taken, of course, as a proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus. I know that my Redeemer lives. And you can see why that lesson was chosen to relate to this morning's Gospel. Because Jesus is talking now about the fact not an opinion, not a thought, but a fact, that the dead are raised. Well, we understand things in no other different context from Job. Job certainly found that his Redeemer was alive, that he recovered all that he had lost, on this earth. It doesn't always happen to us. We have to face the fact. We have to face the fact, too, that it's one of the biggest obstacles to people's belief in God. The life isn't always finishing up as we'd hoped. Easy. But nonetheless, you can believe in our divine redeemer acting not just for the family, but for the whole world. Interestingly though, Jesus' appeal, when questioned about the resurrection, and whether it was plausible or not, doesn't appeal to Job at all. He makes his case by quoting Moses. You remember, of course, the story of the burning bush. God calls to Moses out of the bush and says, Come no closer and move the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Jesus says, The point is that he is, not, is God not of the dead not of three patriarchs who've long since snuffed it, but of the living. God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. Perhaps not the obvious conclusion we would have drawn. Certainly not the conclusion the Sadducees drew. And it's reasonable enough, I would have thought. Doesn't I am the God of your father simply mean I'm the God your father believed in, who was with your father when he was alive? I think we need to look a little further on in that passage to understand what Jesus is saying because we haven't fully understood what God said to Moses. Moses goes on to say, You send me to the children of Israel. Who shall I send who shall I say that sent me? What's your name? Now asking for the name of God was asking for trouble. And you'll be aware that the the Jews to this day refuse to speak the name of God. But nonetheless they knew the name of God. It was written down, but they dare not speak it. And instead of that, they substituted the word the Lord. And the Lord in the Old Testament means God, by name. And there's the classic, of course, that to make it clear what was going on, they took the vowels from the word the Lord, Adonai, And added into the consonants of the word that was probably pronounced Yahweh and you've got Jehovah which is a mishmash of everything but the name Yahweh they would not speak the reply that Moses gets is I am who I am Tell them I am has sent me. Does that sound clear as mud to you? It does to me. It does say that saying the words I am means a great deal more than just a normal statement of this is what I am. I am became one of the names of God. And we can see as we look further into the New Testament, particularly the Gospel of John, how offensive the words I am were to the Jews of the time of Jesus. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection of the life before Abraham was, I am. Jesus takes those words and to the Sadducees and the Pharisees they border on the blasphemous. It may actually be that the name Yahweh comes from the word for I am. I think. I can't pronounce either word properly. My Hebrew is not good enough. But I think you get the point. Hahe, hey. becoming Yahweh, is possibly the origin of that word. I am. God is the essence of all that exists. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Not I was. I was believed in. But I did act in them. I spoke to them. I still do. And that is what convinces Jesus Of the resurrection if God is still speaking to people still relating to them then they're not dead because I am is the very essence of life itself God was and is active in Abraham as he gave those great promises even as he gave instructions to sacrifice his son Isaac. God goes on speaking to him still. Perhaps it's simpler to put it this way. God worked in Abraham and still works in Abraham, which is what you'd expect of God, that he doesn't change with a mortal's death. He doesn't waste, if you like, the work he's put in. And the message for us is that he will not waste the work he's put into me. Or you. Even if he hasn't had the same results out of me or you (laughs) so far. Jesus makes the point that we should expect God to raise the dead because he is God. Not because we deserve it, but because he is God. But I don't somehow think that even the disciples were convinced by that argument as such. Let's look for a moment about things that convince us. Look at our approach to our knowledge, to science. A great scientist comes up with a wonderful theory that sounds very plausible. I think that's, in a sense, the stage which we've reached, which Jesus proclaiming, God is the God not of the living, not of the dead, but of the living. But any expert in that field, whatever it is, will want to question it. Does it fit the the facts we can see? The observations we can make? The Pharisees had cottoned on, if you like, to an idea that made sense, that God would raise the righteous from the dead. It fitted the rest of Scripture all right, as Jesus was saying. But the Sadducees were skeptical. And he said, a more question: How does this square with the, with the rules about a man dying childless, marrying somebody else? Sorry, a woman whose husband dies childless, um, getting married to his brother. But Luke, the gospel writer has no doubts at all. Because he knew that the man who put forward that argument, that we should expect God to raise the dead, had indeed been raised himself from the dead by God. The theoretical expectation had turned into indisputable fact. Thank God we have both, enabling us to believe. But let's not presume upon that belief. Let's look again at what it meant for God to be God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what it means for us to say, He is our God. Do we know Him as Abraham did? as Isaac did, as Jacob did? Do we talk with him as they did? Do we follow him as they did? It's very easy to appeal the relationship of other people to God as the basis for us. I'm afraid it's not on. The fact that your granny went to church is pretty relevant to the state of your relationship with God. What God calls us to is ourselves directly, to be children of God, relating to our Father. Not some distant descendant who has to look in the book to find out what God is like. Well, that will help us certainly. But directly, for you and for me individually, a son or a daughter of Almighty God. We know that. We can share that confidence that Luke had, that Jesus had, that the early disciples had, that those who've gone before us in the faith had. That God raises from the dead those who come to him. And we can live free from the fear of death because we know that God, through Jesus Christ, has conquered that final enemy that death and we can live in the kingdom of god forever by his grace and in his love